What up, what up, what up, everybody in Bricago. This is the Spawn of Me podcast. I'm your host, Khalif Adams. What is the deal? I hope that you are all doing extremely well. I hope your life is treating you well. I think the people around you are treating you well. I hope the universe is treating you well. I hope that everything is going awesomely for you all at home. Thank you for coming and rocking with us this week and every week uh, on the Spawn of Me podcast. We have a banger of a show tonight. I am super, super, super happy to bring on our guest. But before we do that, I want to say thank you to everyone who listened to last week's show. As usual, we had a fantastic time hanging out and and getting it all in. Uh, It's always fun to be able to chop it up about stories of the day and make sure that we are kind of holding people's feet to the fire when we have our conversations. Uh, So it is always wonderful to all have you here with us doing that work and making sure that we bring dopeness everywhere that we go. So we have an awesome, awesome awesome guests with us this week. So awesome that I had to break out some Dilla music to make it real, because if I didn't, it wouldn't feel like it would bring this man's dopeness to his full capacity. Let me know if you can hear this in the chat. We have New York Video Game Critics Award winner, head of animation over at the Patriot Act show, Netflix's Patriot Act show. We have my man, my mellow, the smoothest kind of fellow. We have Yusef Cole on the show with us this week. Shout out to you, Yusef. What's good? What's good? What's good? How are you doing this week? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Khalif. That is, dude, it's a pleasure. Dude, I'm so hyped. <laughs> I'm so hyped to have you rock with us. Uh, I am extremely excited to be able to have you on the show as a person who I've admired for a very long time, who's doing fantastic work in all the spaces that you that you inhabit. Dude, first of all, thank you for coming on to the show. My pleasure. I'm extremely excited to have you. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about first is just how are you? How is everything going? Is everything cool? Is everything dope? <laughs> um, yeah, dude, everything's good. Yeah, yeah everything is going well. The show is in its fourth cycle, which is like their cycles mm-hmm. of six episodes. So they're not really like seasons. They're more like cycles. We come up with a new word for it because it's shorter than mm-hmm. normal. But yeah, we're trucking along. I've been there for a year now and yeah. it's good. You know, like it's busy. It's um, hectic. There's a lot to, to, to do. But, you know, the fruits of our labor are there, you know, for anyone, anyone to see and and as long as netflix is around then it'll be it'll stay there that's that's a good feeling to have because you know a lot of my previous work in at least in motion graphics uh is pretty ephemeral because working on commercials Mm -hmm. that come and go so it's nice to work on a like a creative show like this that also has a some staying power you know and it's sit, sit sit up there for as long as it needs to as a reference for all the subjects that we try and cover yeah yeah, we're going to definitely dig specifically into the work you've been yeah. doing on Patriot Act. Yeah. But I want to I want to start out at the beginning. Sure. I want to go to the years of young Yusef, who's in the Bronx, in the <laughs> BX. Did you grow up in, you grew up in the BX, the, correct? I grew up or? in the Bronx, yeah. What part of the Bronx are you from? I am from Kingsbridge. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, nice. so I'm off the one line, um, basically like second to last stop. Like, um, I'm okay. way up there. But you know I've, yeah i'm still living in the same neighborhood and i mean i moved i moved around like but i am still where i grew up yeah i'm living where i grew up now 
which is great. Nice. And yeah. Nice. Um, it's funny. <laughs> like my wife always makes fun of me because she grew up in Flushing, and she's like, "You think you grow? You, you always pretend you grew up in like a tough area, but like." <laughs> It was, it's nothing compared to where I grew up. So we kind of go, we have like a battle of hardships. I was like, I got mugged. Okay. Like somebody stole my bike (laughs) and she's like, but it was just bullies. They weren't actually like, it was just like bully kids stealing your bike to like piss you off. It wasn't like, you know, life or death mugging. So we're just like always comparing our, our childhood toughness, basically our toughness ratio. It's like I fought people too when I was growing up. I know how it's like. I know what it's like to fight people. Exactly. I yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in the Northeast Bronx. Oh yeah. So I was yeah. uh, I was across the way on the uh, in the in the toughest train stop of all sounding train stops. I was on the two and the five on the Gun Hill Road side oh, yes. of, of the Bronx. Mm, the Hill of Guns. Um, I, I, the I, Hill of Guns. I like grew up there a little bit. Um, like. I forget the train stop because I was too young. Like I was like I left when I was like four or five. But yeah, we had like a house there, like on in the Gun Hill Road area, like right yeah. around there. And it was yeah, it was we still we still went back we still go back there like because we have family. But my parents moved on to the west, <laughs> the west side, I it. I the west it. side, <laughs> the one. I dig it. IRT. I mean, it's one of those things. It's one of those things though, right? When you're from the Bronx, there is a very much like. Uh, there is a I need to hold on to a little bit of my Bronxness wherever I go because yeah. it is it, it is a place that does you know uh, uh, get you ready for the world at large in many many ways. It, it kind of sets you up to to understand the world around you in ways that I don't think a lot of people outside of the New York City area kind of understand. You know, yeah, I think you're what right. was it like? <laughs> you got What was it like shoulder. growing up? Yeah, you and you and you kind of have your radar on all the time, right? Like your radar is very, very keen to everything that's happening around you. Uh, when everything is, you know, even when things are fairly just chill, but your radar is kind of always up. Mm-hmm. Did growing up on, did grow up in the Bronx like um, affect, or did it influence, you know, the kind of steps and routes that you've gone and gone through to get to, you know, where you are now professionally in any way? Do you feel like that has like enabled you or emboldened you in some ways to do that? Yeah, I think it's inevitable that it left an imprint and guided where I am now. Like, I, I'm from, you know, I feel of the Bronx. I feel loyal to this neighborhood and this borough. I also feel that it's hard to really compute, like, everything, how it actually affected me. I think my parents probably played a bigger part in terms of, of forcing me to go down certain paths or or supporting my reading or being kind of a, a nerd when I was a kid. Because I, I remember definitely definitely like being out of place at my school <laughs> because I was such a nerd and uh, just never not fitting in at all. Like, so I, I, so I didn't, like I, I always felt a little bit like not in that, like I couldn't fully earn that Bronxness somehow. Like there was a little bit of that outsiderness and part of that just, I don't know, because my parents are maybe different because they're, they're not from this neighborhood. And like my mom's from Tunisia, so she has an immigrant upbringing that she brought, brought out and brought out in me. Um, but also, it's kind of, a, a, you know, how much of that is actually like uh, legitimate because being from the Bronx, you're, any kind of person can come from the Bronx. There's a stereotype of like the toughness of what the Bronx is, but I think that's obviously (laughs) 
just you want to live up to that but you you don't have to <laughs> like and it's it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. better not to like you, you just you should follow your own path and, and that's something that my parents pushed me to do so i think i you know i owe it to them that i follow my path and didn't want to didn't feel like i needed to like represent some different image of like of what growing up here would be like so i definitely mm-hmm. feel it in my roots and i feel like i'm indebted to it but also i feel very much an, an individual who grew up in the bronx yeah. you know yeah yeah Which i'm sure you are the similar yeah there are, there are like cultural touchstones that come from the bronx that make you you know feel really attuned to not only the city but to that uh, that that toughness that that uh, that goes along with it right it's like wherever I go, it is very interesting to see the reception that I get or the reaction that I get mm-hmm. when there are people like, Hey, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from the Bronx. And I say with pride because yeah. it's like, it's a prideful feeling that I have, yeah. but their face <laughs> always kind of tunes in this way that is like, and you made it out a lot. <laughs> like, how did, how did, how did you make it out a lot? Like, it's like that weird, like everyone swears that the Bronx was and still is in this like Bronx is burning era. You know, yeah. like it's still like in the 80s and 70s when it comes to, it's kind of funny. you know, safety and all that stuff. That's the era that like it established it, especially because that group, you know, gave birth to hip hop and that became the cultural touchstone that spread out to everywhere else. But pretty much our generation grew up after that and in different circumstances. And so it's totally like the difference is very stark. But it's also cool and interesting having family that grew up in that era and like in those areas. Like my dad's side of the family is all from the Gun Hill area and grew up, um, yeah, like around buildings that were set on fire by landlords and like like just giant empty lots. And they remembered all this. I remember we watched an episode of like The Get Down or whatever that 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 uh, Netflix hip hop show, and they're like, "Yep, this looks this mm-hmm. looks right." <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> they were just burnt out city blocks and i was like damn this is kind of the first time i really talked to them about that like they just oh that's so interesting because they never really talked about it before like and they a lot of the family moved up to co-op city like at some point oh yeah 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 i went to school in co-op city i went to truman high school nice yeah so it's, so it's so like you're familiar with that that is <laughs> that is also a very interesting part of the, of, so of the bronx in and of itself the whole area like no one like i feel like most people even in the new york don't understand how weird it is because it's like co-op city is like you go like i'll go to my uncle's apartment like way up <laughs> like a 50th floor or whatever and you're like well, i'm looking at a skyscraper overlooking the, the atlantic and then you go a few more miles, you're on City Island, which is totally like its own like city town yeah. that feels like nothing else in New York. Like, yeah. um, it's crazy. I think, and it's, and it's hard to get to, so most people don't head out there, but I was trying to get my yeah, friends. It was, you felt fancy. Yeah, yeah. You felt fancy when you went to City yes. Island. You're like, ooh, we're going to go out to eat. We're going to go to City Island and go eat. It's like highbrow, um, lowbrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah it's, to- it's totally like we have our own post office and we also have nutcrackers uh-huh. it's all the things that you can possibly get in one particular place yeah. um but it always used to make me laugh about co-op city real quick before we shift gears how everyone was super excited and repped their section uh-huh. uh sure. that was the thing that everyone cared about they were like yo what section are you from oh i'm from section five. Oh no i'm from section two yeah we have beef <laughs> yeah it was, oh, yeah. It was interesting to, to see the, the <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't talk to them. It's turf wars within within the whole. We have it where we like, you're you're in the elevator bank that goes from eleven to twenty. I'm in the elevator bank that goes from one <laughs> to fifteen. It's kind of like that. Never the twain shall meet. Is, 
<laughs> totally, totally weird. Yeah. Anyway, um, where did your love for games come from? Were you gaming early? Was it a thing that you always had access to? You know, or was it something that you found later on in in your life? I was definitely gaming pretty early on. Um, we got like a Nintendo a year or so after it came out. So I was, it was like in the late 80s. And yeah, mm-hmm. me and my little brother, we would just play, you know, get that Nintendo and play that Mario, that uh, T- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Arcade. That was our first big gaming console experience. Um, and yeah, like we'd play that and then we just kept on with it. And I've been gaming in some capacity since then. Like, took a break in college, you know, was like wanted to socialize and and try something different. But then afterward, I was like, you know, that was, that was dumb. Let's go back to games. <laughs> it's like like games are dope i think i like these yeah good and it was like also like coming back in graduating and being able to make money and buy games and buy consoles and stuff was a totally different thing you know than begging your parents for a game every few months or year or whatever so that was then that was an extra like added alert to like getting back into games right you like yeah buy whatever you wanted and like play it whenever you wanted or whatever so yeah so i've been playing since for since then since since the nes did you did you have a favorite or any couple of favorites that were the ones that when you think about that time in that era that you kind of harken back to yeah i mean like there are a lot i think like the most formative years were the ps1 years because ah, okay. um i'm not sure why like i think it was just like it was like it was like high school or early high school, maybe like maybe early high school or middle school and just being getting really into getting really into it playing with my brother and just like getting into certain games like jet moto which was their like version of wave racer and uh metal gear solid and just like games that were before that they were still kind of limited in how like how immersive or um or detail they could get and then ps1 kind of blew, blew the lid off of that and i felt it, i had so much so much greater like a level of investment because the games were so much more dynamic you know and twisted metal 2 oh my god we played so many hours of twisted metal 2 oh man oh, twisted metal was so good so good and i was like oh the, man we just had neighbors like in our building we would just play like the multiplayer all summer long um, yeah, that and like Jet, Jet Moto, we get we got so good at Jet Moto, we're just like it's like a game that nobody remembers because like it wasn't that amazing, <laughs> but it was kind of cool. It had that white those white dot vibes, like you're doing like loops. Yeah, yeah. Man, Jet Moto, yeah, Jet Moto was a thing that that really that really was crazy. Uh, I remember Battle Arena Toshiden uh-huh. Was the thing that I always was like, I need to be playing that for long periods of time. Sure. I don't know why I stopped playing it, but I just remember those like very specific sounds that went along with that game. Huh. It was just like that whole PS1 soundscape that came out of that console was Absolutely. very, very formative yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it, yeah, it was very formative. Uh, play a lot of Street Fighter, the uh, the weird PS1, yeah, it was like so many games that like didn't survive, like they. The version of Street Fighter that was kind of like Tekken, the EX Plus Alpha one, that was like, it's like a three three oh, D Street yes. Fighter, <laughs> like with Skullamania. Yeah, Skullamania, that's like, still my guy. Oh, Skullamania was so good. It, it was such a fun character to play. Um, 
were you yeah. were you when you grew up in 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 the bronx were were you a part of any of the arcade scenes too was that a thing that you had around you there was nothing around me that was like a scene like basically our arcade i mean that, that i did do i did a lot of arcades but it was like basically the laundromat there was like xm street fighter had to mm-hmm. had to get a couple of rounds of that um there was the pizza place a couple of pizza places like someone like there was a few like those ones that had like cruising usa and like <laughs> the, yes. um the cowboy game i always forget what it's called or it's the uh like lone R- ranger or something um and then there was a nathan's like in Yonkers Ooh. and like we're kind of a dr- like basically a five minute drive from Yonkers and we would just like we'd go there we wouldn't even like eat anything like because it was Nathan it was not <laughs> like, it was not good but then we would like yeah we'd hit hit up the arcade and our, my mom would give us like 20 bucks and like be like go crazy and we'd have we'd get like 20 minutes out of it or it's like like half an hour because like you just burn through your money so fast but it was the most <laughs> fun ever like you know when you get to like to do that for like a hot second and like you know, they, yeah, and they yeah. had all the greats like Time Crisis and House of the Dead. Mm. Um, yeah, just like it was. I definitely played those. Nothing, never anything in a competitive sense. It was just like finding something where you can like basically waste your money very quick, very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> but have a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, we got pretty good at House of the Dead. The most of the stuff that was in that game when you when you first started to play it, mm. it was such a like they were trying to g you for your money so so hard. Oh yeah, hard. they were good at that. Oh, area area fifty one, totally. Like shooters were amazing. I love the shooter the shooters. I would play Time Crisis to, and you know I, I beat it a few times at that point because like it was possible. It was it, yeah. that game did not feel like a it was trying to cheat you. Time Crisis like. You right. can, because of the ducking mechanic was so clutch, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally right on that. I totally forgot about the ducking, the ducking thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You can tell which games were trying to get you, and then the other ones that were like felt at least felt kind of fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember Turbo being one of those games that I remember not being fair. It felt like they were always trying to like run you off the road, or like Spy Hunter was trying mm-hmm. to like always run you off the road. Sure. And, take your last bits of money but yeah yeah it was a good time to to kind of grow up especially in the, it's funny because i don't think a lot of people i wonder how this played out outside of new york and i'm sure it was similar but it felt like yeah if you didn't have those kind of larger arcades you were finding yourself in the pizza shop or in the you know in the bodega or in any of the other places that had an arcade machine and you were you know, getting your gaming fixed within those small spaces. I wish, I wish that there was a, a conversation about how that kind of transpired and and was the last vestiges of the actual like arcade scene. And I know that some people have talked about it, but I haven't seen an actual like full on like documentary about stuff like that. It would be cool to see. Yeah, it's kind of a lost uh, social space, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I want to fast forward a little bit to a little bit older, Yusuf. When did you start to write about games or when did you start to think about the process of lending your voice in, in, in a literary way to the games, the game space? So I studied kind of film and film uh, cinema studies in, at school and college and didn't really, I probably that into production and getting into animation, getting into motion graphics. But I also did a lot of essay writing just because it was a multidisciplinary major and there wasn't much of a film production department at my school. It was a lot more English and, and critique. So I got a lot of practice writing about stuff and writing about film. And I didn't get to use it for a good eight, nine years after 
and I just had I think it was it was kind of a slow build up where I was getting more interested in games and buying more of them and you know I had a I, at that point I had a PC that I had built and I was just getting really invested in talking and thinking about them and I was on a couple of forums and yeah like I think I was just inspired by seeing just good pieces online and people writing seriously about games and hadn't and I hadn't, I hadn't seen that kind of stuff before mm-hmm. so that was like and that was kind of a it kind of kicked me in the butt to try and try it myself and try and, and mess around it in that area and see what I can do and it's just I just started like writing in blogs and and or my own blogs or writing I would write stuff in forum like the forums I would just like take up people's time just writing page long form <laughs> messages about stuff and you know just that kind of light practice and and then dipping my foot into things and it just it really was this slow buildup. Nothing happened overnight. I was just like writing mm-hmm. because I, and I enjoyed the art of it and I enjoyed the feedback and, and basically getting to share how I thought about something and having, and getting that, getting a bounce back and getting a response. Excuse me. Um, and that, yeah, that just kept going. And I, at some point, yeah, medium came along and it kind of gave some of the blog writing a bit more of a professional luster you know, it looks like yeah. you're writing a real thing. And I was writing, so I, I then I, ended up, I, from that I wrote a few pieces for Ontological Geek, which sadly I just saw they are not publishing pieces anymore. But um, yeah. they were like the first place I wrote for. And then I just like, from there, just wrote for a few other, started writing for a few other sites. Like, um, like I met Austin Walker from Waypoint Advice at, some of the game festivals like I, I i went to indicade a bunch in new nice. york because it's in new york and on the travel i love that <laughs> <laughs> and it was a good vibe like it's like they don't really it's not really going on at least not to the extent that it was before anymore like but it was right you could anyway show up it felt like friendly to amateurs and people who are just interested in games and you can play all the latest indies and and meet and go to developer talks and it was like it was a really rich culture and um yeah i had met austin there or at another event and like he like he ducks in my blog writing and he kind of gave me a big uh push to like he put me up on on waypoint uh pretty early on in my career Mm -hmm. and yeah just like from there you know i just uh bit by bit you know article by article i just kept uh (laughs) growing my body of work and getting better at it getting better at um at writing efficiently and and finding a good thesis a good point to what i wanted to talk about and not not meander too much and so yeah Yeah. like uh it's i'm less i think at this point i'm probably less on the enthusiast get like in all the game forms like kind of you know get subscribing to all the magazines like building pcs mm-hmm. level like i'm a little more like old and tired but <laughs> <laughs> i still like i don't get to, i don't get tired of the writing part of it you know like i still really like that and i feel like i found a good voice to write with it, the problem is just i don't make time anymore <laughs> like i'm just yeah. like yeah. you know I'm, I'm i'm i am fitting it where i can but it's a it's a struggle because the show is so demanding but i yeah. 
you know, I'm writing a column for Unwinnable, and they're really good people. Um, they're just like love them. Yeah, they're just like operating out of out of like a the internet, and really and like yeah. releasing this, this monthly PDF, and they just like a bunch of a really diverse group of writers, kind of all put forward like whatever they want to talk about, basically about like games and pop culture. So like I have pretty free reign to write about um, whatever I want. Like I just like the last month I wrote a piece about Evangelion and like watching it, mm. growing up watching it and like, and watching it now, like 20 years later or whatever. And then like, I just wrote a piece about this podcast, mortal, mortal podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, no. it's this, uh, What's that about? it's basically, oh, you probably like this. It's like this, since you're a moral combat fan, um, it's yeah. this comedian and, um, kind of video director, this guy, Ben Meckler in LA, like, he basically just loves Mortal Kombat and and knows all the lore. And he just, every episode he he will describe the lore of a single character to a random guest, <laughs> like who, do, who, who usually doesn't know anything about Mortal Kombat. <laughs> and, oh my god, this sounds fantastic! Yeah, so like he, he just did a whole like the seasons are based on I think the games like uh right, like the first season was like all the Mortal Kombat one characters. And now he's doing like it. I guess after that, but yeah, it's so funny because he's just like there because this Delore is crazy. The Lord is <laughs> is so weird because um, everyone's dying, coming back to life, becoming dead, getting reborn. Uh-huh. Like, oh man, it's wild. And and the, and he like sticks it. He sticks to it. He does not break form. Um, <laughs> so I was just writing about that and like how I thought it was interesting and like how lore and people who like and like. Who, especially people who like stream lore are these like secondary storytellers and they kind of like add to the narrative of the original game because like they're putting in this effort to like turn it into this to weave it into this like entertaining story um right so yeah like i'm just like writing about whatever comes to my mind for this for this um magazine yeah. for, for unwinnable and yeah i write for like other places like bullet points or another small PD, like small kind of like monthly publication and I try and write for uh, Austin and Vice whenever I can, but those tend to like be when I have like a good chunk of time to like devote to research and planning and stuff, which hasn't been too frequent. But you know, I, I try and you know, I'm talking to Austin. We'll see. <laughs> I'm always hopeful. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to dig into that actually after the break mm-hmm. because two of the pieces that you've written and you are one of my favorite writers in the game oh, space. Thank you. But 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 there are two specific pieces that I want to dig into right after the break about your Cuphead piece mm-hmm. and your uh, piece about Fortnite and hip hop culture and how the two shall kind of meet. All right. Cool beans. So we're going to take a quick break. Everybody at home, make sure you got some water. Make sure you're hanging out. We have Yusef Cole rocking with us in Chicago. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to the Spoiler Me Podcast. I'm your host, Khalif Adams. Thank you so much for hanging out during the break. We are rocking with my man, my mellow, Yusef Cole, coming through in the clutch, hanging out with us here in Bercago. So we talked a little bit about some of your writing. We talked a little bit about some of the pieces that you had done. Um, there are two of them that stick out in my mind immediately when I think about your work because of some of the stuff you talked about a little bit before the break. You do some fantastic research when it comes to building out the stories that you are looking to share with the rest of, of the world. I, the, 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 the piece I know that a lot of folks think about is the Cuphead piece where you talked about the connection between menstrual imagery and how Cuphead has kind of used that to be the foundation for that game. Sure. And you as an as a, as a visual artist, I'm sure that you've gone through and understand the languages mm -hmm. and, the, and the nuance behind that and it displayed itself masterfully within the piece that you that you shared. What's the process look like for you when you are when you have one of those really meaty pieces? Like when you think about what the things are that you want to write about, is it coming from just the the kind of news of the day that influences where you want to start that process, or is it something that you've seen and thought about for a long period of time? And you're like, this is a thing that I've now seeing this connection happen, and I want to bridge the gap between the folks who may not have the knowledge and the, and the knowledge that I have to bring that story to life. Yeah, um, it's sometimes it depends on the piece. Well, sometimes sometimes it's, it's serendipitous. Where I know, like the there was a I wrote a review for Detroit Become Human for Waypoint, and luckily I had uh, everything I wanted to talk about. I had already read, <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what I want to talk about. Because <laughs> I was like doing research for an other another piece that was about um, like Detroit. And, and it was like I ever started a book about Detroit and like. A couple of books about the uh, like the history of segregation in Detroit and like the housing crisis and and the collapse of the industry there. And I was like, oh, I have all these quotes I can use for this piece. Done. Uh, and it almost never works <laughs> out that way with with uh, Cuphead. It basically was it started with you know made a few comments on Twitter. Some of this, and I read. Um, uh, I'd read like some some writing to that effect, like um, like Samantha Blackman, I think, had had written a piece about when they when she saw it in the, in the preview, just like oh, mm -hmm. this you know raising some red flags. We'll see what happens when the game comes out, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I was like, so I was playing it and kind of and thinking along those lines, but not really like having a concrete base at that point. And then um, Stu Horvath over on Unwin Unwinnable, he was like, I see you're tweeting about this. Like, I would love for you to write a piece. And I was like, you mm. know, okay. Like, it was kind of like he he basically, which is my favorite kind of um, interaction, by the way, like for an editor to just like, not just like tweet, like, you know, we need diverse writers to write something cool, but, you know, like, like specifically like, you know, um, like giving me this brief and this job that I could, sink my teeth into and like kind of and and from the get you know from the from the jump without having to like just think of a new idea on the spot um this was yeah. like just like serendipity like it was just serendipity where I like i was thinking about it and he gave me the platform and from that point i was like okay if i'm going to talk about this i need to do the research i need to to 
see what's out there. And I luckily have a, uh, have a friend who runs a theater in New York spectacle. Like it's a small indie theater and they, they run just very like strange and obscure movies. And they have a great encyclopedic knowledge of, of niche films. And I, and he, I know he like also worked with these uh, curators who, who are deep into like, like 30s animation, Fleischer animation, and so I was, a- I was yeah. asking him about like some books I can I can read, and he he recommended some of the pieces I used, um, and yeah, I just I just did uh, did the research. I, I read a couple books on it. I mean, there's way more that I there's always more that I could do, but I think <laughs> it's a matter of balancing, you know, what is possible like within the time frame, and and getting enough of a grasp of the subject that you that I can make the point I want to make without stretching it. And I can, um, yeah, it, it services. And it also doesn't become like an academic paper. You know, there's this line that you're writing where you want to, you still want it to be entertaining and light um, and, and easy to read. And I'm not just like showing off my sources, right? I'm not just <laughs> giving people a bibliography. Like I'm just using it to like jump off and like write and talk about what I want to talk about. And that's always something that's like, is I keep in mind when I'm when I'm when I'm doing these pieces when it's not just like a list of, of like block quotes like long lengthy block quotes of like of whatever I'm reading and yeah, yeah also it takes forever <laughs> to, to do the research <laughs> so I can't I can't dive that deep, that deep into it but yeah like for the most part when I'm like yeah when I'm doing a, a piece that is research oriented that that is a subject that has a history attached to it I like seeing how much you know trying to get a handle so i can speak confidently about that history um Mm. and i think that was totally my process with cuphead it was my process with the Fortnite essay um again i was like um i i had just been talking about it and i was like um i've been chatting with uh, nick capazzoli who's at the Mm. the, uh, game the game critic circle and he was like yeah like this is uh this is the crux, right? Like it's a, it's always being discussed as this legal thing, like whether or not they can, we're not, whether or not they should and what mm. that means culturally. I'm like, yeah, that that's true. Like, and he's like, but I'm not going to write the essay. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll write it then. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> and, to, and to give people context that you, you're writing about the, yeah, the, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the pulling yeah. of black culture into this game without them being compensated yeah. for the work that they put. Because at that point, there were a few famous cases that were um, popping up where Meek Mill and um, and uh, uh, Alfonso Rivero and a few other and like some some YouTubers and like other people like mm-hmm. and the the uh, the flossing kid i forgot what it's called not flossing uh uh what's his name anyway yeah 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 i know who you're talking about but i can't i can't yeah. think of them yeah um people are, are bringing up actual legal cases against epic and trying to get um some recognition that they're they were just using their moves whole cloth and there is it's kind of it fizzled out because there's not because this, the patent patenting like law is isn't strong enough to support claims for like moves, it's really for like choreographed dances, um, and that kind of like, and for a lot of people, a lot of people in games, especially writing about it, it was like an open and shut question. And I was like, but there's more to it. Like, let's let's dig into it. Let's dig into why 
this is like you know it's like why it fits into this like pattern so neatly of like of mainstream media mm. like profiting off of of black art and black culture without paying it back and without recognizing it um and so yeah i just kind of dug into some of the background there and there's been some there's definitely a lot of really good writing about about that stuff you know like tons of it just talking about um the history of rock and roll and jazz and and dance dance is like such this this incredibly wrought topic where um you had things like american bandstand it was just, i wish i could talk more about it, it was like so fascinating where it's like you know how we have time <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we have time to dig into some of it yeah just like how it was uh so segregated and you know like uh but at the same time the dances that were becoming popular were dances that these uh the these white dancers on uh, american bandstand had seen in the halls of harlem and and very in the savoy and like other places around new york and were just copying it and putting it on display and pretending it was their own their own work and then you had mm. things like soul train pop up in response to american bandstand not allowing at least like free like the the free the freedom of their of the black uh guests and dance and, and the artists who are on the show to to dance the way they wanted to dance and so there's, it was this venue right. that where they could really show off their moves and it blew up it was so popular like for me it's kind yeah. of funny for me because like we were like well, i was like watching i was watching soul train like like but it was like way <laughs> past its heyday like yeah, it was yeah. in the 80s or the late 80s and early 90s at that point it was it was the when i knew like saturday morning cartoons were going to end because it was like <laughs> like soul train would come on <laughs> i was like oh man <laughs> It was a it was a in between space between Soul Train and Kung Fu Flicks. Yeah, yeah, you're like time to go outside, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's time to go yeah. outside. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like a lot of history that like I, I, you know, knew the outlines of, but it was really interesting to read about it and try and put in put the whole thing into context, um, into words, and apply it to a game that is still crazy popular. Um, yeah. So like, um, that was I really like like writing those pieces, and I like that there's space for that and platforms for that you know like i think mm-hmm. waypoint is this of vice games now like this um i was when i you know chat with austin about potential potential pieces like that's usually what i have in mind it's like i want a piece that will feel will will kind of like make a big splash um will stand on its own for a while you know like kind of have this like mm-hmm. longevity because it's there's more weight to it than it like because i have the flex i have the freedom somewhat of not having this be my main career like of, of writing like yeah. or i don't need to like write like 10 pieces a day to like make rent like i can come at it like you know with the freedom and flexibility of not needing to be paid for it you know yeah um yeah i mean one of the things i love about your pieces specifically is that they do focus sometimes mm -hmm. on these topics that um bring up and evoke these emotional responses that especially me and we in the black community are like yeah we see this thing happen all the time and no one is really addressing it or talking about it or bringing it up in the context of the uh, you know, cultural phenomena that we constantly see and, and, and the games that we play and all those things, it, it always feels like, and this is a thing that I always kind of share out is like, I think of black culture as the continuous dominant culture when it comes to 
whatever has been hot or whatever has been new and fresh and whatever has been the kind of thing that thrusts, you know, all entertainment in that, in just in that one thing, in that one box yeah. forward. Um, what, what, are, what are, when you're having those conversations with folks who are in both games media and outside of games media, you know, it feels like both hip hop and black culture specifically, um, have always been pigeonholed into these really weird and kind of very niche spaces. Mm-hmm. I've always, I've always wanted to ask folks who are, who are writing about that. Where do you think that we're being missed in a lot of the conversations? Like, I feel like there are so many pieces of our culture that only get focused on, but there are so, so many parts of it that is so vast that never even get mentioned. Mm-hmm. Where are some of the places that you would hope to see in the, in the, the years to come? those those kind of intricate and nuanced versions of black culture kind of infuse themselves within the games that we play? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, because, I mean, there's so many answers. That's what's so nice about it. You yeah. Know, like, uh, yeah. Because the culture is is vast and and always surprising. Like, stuff that, I want stuff that surprises me. Like, like um, uh, I had seen, or, um, I was blinking the name that HBO show by like Terrence Nance, uh, like that is a director. Um, mm. What is it called? Uh, oh, uh, Random Acts of Flyness. Yes. Oh my god. Yes, yes, yes. I was yes. like when I watched it, I was like, yeah. that is so cool. Like, it's like surreal. Yeah. It's got like kind of a Spike Jones aspect. It's got like this like cultural criticism, and then like just like totally like then a cool hip-hop vibe and like it's like mm-hmm. sexy and dark and exciting and weird like i was i was really yeah i was like and i was, I was surprised by it and like i like that like i like that there are like i can't i should not know the bounds of my own culture like it should be like this thing that where people are bringing these new, fresh new perspectives that will make me feel old <laughs> And like <laughs> out of touch, like that kind of stuff is great. And and there's always the, and there's also there's also the old, the old standbys like you know more Afrofuturism like that I'll always like get behind that. Like I think there's so much more depth to, to plunge in terms of like blackness and sci-fi and fantasy like where you have mm. like these um, just these these uh, these cultural arenas that have traditionally kept black voices out and and mm. when they're in it's kind of stripped of context and kind of like it's the it still feels like like a a more homogenous voice like it doesn't feel like you know it's representing a diverse voice like because it's, it's one thing to for representation in terms of like bringing the the uh, bringing an, an actor in or a, a character in your book but then it, it's totally different when it's like the person writing it behind this camera like is of color and is coming and and you can see it's coming with these new ideas so like i think that um like i just uh i read on last year i read an unkindness of ghosts Hmm. which is this awesome like really like dense sci. it's not dense but it's like hard sci-fi like book about like a a generation ship that like that is traveling to find like a new colony 
like something sort of straight out huh. of Mass Effect, but like it's also carrying with it like a lot of the racist baggage of the the Earth. Like there's like there, there's a caste system. There's like kind of plantation labor on it, um, and there's kind of a basically an uprising that happens. So like, um, and yeah, the author's a black woman. Like like, and it's like I, uh, you. It, it makes all the difference. And then reading reading yeah. anything by like Octavia Butler is one of my favorite authors. It's just like that's always my jam. You know, I'm like I'm like, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Yeah. I'm hoping to see, and this is one of the things that I'm hoping that I can find all the people to make this thing happen at some point, but I've never seen and I've never heard, or I envision, I'm sorry, there being all those things wrapped up into black game cult, Mm. black game coverage, or an outlet that does that kind of work, where all those things are fully infused into how you know, game coverage is, is, is shared both in the visual and audio form. You know, folks are f- finding out that they, you know, the connections to hip hop are not just background music, but it's in the way that you view the world and, and things like that. I mean, yeah. are, are, I mean, you're kind, you're kind of doing some of that work through the stuff that you're doing on Patriot Act where you're, you're freshening up the news and the news of the day and the way that through Hassan's amazing comedic timing and, and all those things, bringing this new fresh version of, you know, the thing that you need to know this week, uh, through your work. I want to talk a little bit about like how that process has started. What was the, what was the process of you getting on uh Patriot act to, to, to work with those folks? And, and I would definitely want to talk about the gaming, uh, episode sure. that 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 you had a hand in. Uh, what's what's the what what was the process of getting into Patriot Act with with Hassan and Netflix? Um, it was a really lucky concurrence of of people and and timing. Basically, a close friend of mine who I've worked for in the past was signed signed on to be the creative director for like the motion graphics department, and she brought me on. She was like, um, hmm. I want you to come on as like, yeah, as the um, animation director and kind of help lead the team to create these episodes. Like, uh, and yeah, like it, it kind of, she kind of got me in, <laughs> uh, Michelle, hmm. Michelle Higa. She's a really talented, um, like creative director. She owns her company in New York and like does a lot of, um, a lot of really cool work. Um, yeah. and yeah, so she was the creative director of Patriot Act for the first season. And she also helped mm-hmm. uh, shoot a pilot that helped sell to Netflix and kind of develop the, the whole artistic style of the show. And yeah, like I was kind of following the process of them making it, kind of putting it together. And then she kind of brought me on once it was ready to like go to tape and, and start like, you know, getting into production basically. Um, and yeah, like it, it's both a natural continuation of the work I've done, but also a really new, like a a new avenue and something I had to learn a lot of things that I was not necessarily familiar with. Um, I, Hmm. most of my past work has been more traditional, like 
freelance motion graphics where you're making stuff for commercials or advertising or sometimes web websites but it's more of a in and out you make a 30 second spot here you make a five second web banner here and this was a lot more and then you, then you never see it again because it kind of goes off to the ether yeah. um, and then this show is very different because we would uh, need to make the graphics get it approved and then uh, that was just a one part of it because it has to then go on the stage and then you uh, and as with the team lead you're kind of down there with the the production director uh who's shooting Hassan on the stage and like kind of framing the background and making sure like everything can fit into the frame of the camera that he's shooting with so then yeah. you're you then have to account for a, a camera like capturing your graphics and the host of the show because it, like it's it's yeah. different because not just graphics that are that are on like a tv like it's graphics that then become like part of the stage background like it's graphics that become set yeah. dressing and so i w never had never created that kind of work and at the same time it also like wasn't hadn't really worked in live television so like it was learning a lot of that stuff learning a lot of the, the language for that and the process so yeah, it was a ton of a ton of learning required, a ton of <laughs> studying up. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like at this point, after a year, pretty comfortable with it. Um, and that was, so that was really good timing for them to to do a video game episode. So I could come, I could yeah. come at it with the full force of of, of my experience <laughs> with the show. And the story behind that is they've been wanting to just do a, a game episode for a while. Like they know it's oh, they okay. know it's um something that a lot of people are are enthusiastic about and can and generates a lot of tension there just wasn't a good angle and uh, the difficulty is like because um the writers and Hassan they don't they're not gamers like surprisingly none of them mm. play games like it was like a few people I was going to ask you that I was curious if 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 Hassan yeah, was, was was playing games he does not play games interesting um, and so the, the, the difficulty was like, how do you talk about games and like a culture that has a lot of nuance without coming off as like an out of touch old person, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like really hard to, to nail that. And, you know, I'm sure we didn't fully like succeed. Like, um, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, I don't, I'm not control of what the writers are talking about. Like I can, I can lend right. as much, um, of my expertise on games as as possible in air quotes like i even like i like i'm missing a lot of knowledge <laughs> like even with fortnite because i don't really play fortnite like i'm like they're, they're asking all these questions and i'm like i played it like once and like you know <laughs> luckily, luckily there were a few people that like have played it you know um but yeah like i i, I played it enough to like know what what, it, what it's about i played it for the article like but i have not Mm. I'm not like, a dedicated Fortnite player, but uh, we had a few people on the staff that like that had, and so we were able to piece it together. And yeah, I mean, one of the things that I that I when I watched the episode, like you saying that to me now, I would have never known. Like I would have never been able to tell, mm. which right. which which to me is is fantastic because now hearing that, you know, Hassan doesn't isn't necessarily a gamer in that space and you know there may not be that many folks on staff who are doing that either it felt like one of the things that we constantly see when we have 
I'm going to throw up air quotes, outsiders kind of come into the space to talk about the thing that we know and love. Yeah. It feels like the nuance is never really there and they're not giving the, 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 the gravity of the industry and the people who are within it, the kind of credit and due that they deserve. Um, you know, having seen the, 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 the full episode, I'm sure. How did you feel like, did you feel like they kind of nailed what, when you started to pitch that, uh, that piece to them, do you feel like they nailed the nuance of that particular subject? And did they feel like you, they nailed the, the ability for them to kind of convey those things to folks, not necessarily outside of our circle, but to the folks that were inside of our circle? I, th- I think they did. Um, and yeah, to be fair, like I didn't, um, the idea came from like some of the other, some of the uh, news producers, like for the, the labor Got angle. It. But I Got it. like was kind of consulting on uh, on like my take on it, you know, like what I had mm. seen, and and having followed followed like that stuff on Twitter for you know a year at that more than a year at that point. Um, right. Excuse me. Um, like it was, I think they did a, a really good job of of collecting so many disparate threads of of experience and information into a into the a 20 minute 25 minute episode like and into, into a package that not just people who are in the know like for people in the industry who like are breathing this stuff day in and day out probably a lot of it's like yeah i'm familiar with this i'm familiar with that you know somewhat old news but i think it's also digestible for people who don't play games necessarily or play them at a very like superficial and casual level where they're not really caring about um like this or this this layup that happened a week ago, or this layup that happened a month ago, or, or like you're right. aware of the, the the names of the companies that make the games. Like I think that level is really important to reach, and that's what we're trying to do is is try and make this almost like a like lighting the torches to like to alert yeah. like the world like hey this is like a thing that actually matters because it's it may seem like like. Um, a frivolous job, but it's labor. It's people are producing a massive amount of culture and capital and and um, and content that that affects a lot of people and and that, and that entertains a yeah. lot of people. And yeah. Yeah. you know they deserve to be to have their jobs considered labor and to, to be protected as such. So um, I think yeah. that like it was. Our head writer Prashant is like super dedicated, uh, and he, for the whole episode, he was like, "I want to make sure that it's we're like we sound like we know what we're talking about, <laughs> like that we're yeah. coming from a yeah. place where, like, we can't really. I mean, we can be challenged in some things, but for the most, the core argument can't be challenged because we we're bringing yeah. enough, enough examples of what um, what we mean when we talk about exploitation and crunch and." And the way people are um, kind of let out to dry, or left on the side of the road when uh, a company decides to end things, like how that, and then then to turn that into like how that might be protected if you were to unionize or to find other ways to like organize your labor and protect yourself. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it was pretty successful. Plus, it feels you know you know funny like you know it's the show yeah. the show is also a comedy show and like trying to find jokes about it and like. 
stuff that could get really dark, I think we were able to like ride that balance that line fairly fairly yeah. successfully. The show does that really, really well. I mean, Hassan's uh, version of comedy is is biting when it needs to be biting and also has a very deft hand when it needs to have a deft hand. So it's like you can see his, again, his comedy roots are always there, yeah. um, but it's always great to see him dig into a subject and, you know, have that thing be displayed in a smart and, and really thoughtful way. Um, and even just on a side note, back to the production of that particular episode it gave me a huge sense of pride to see the the gwu logo so beautifully displayed underneath hassan's feet and on the on the back of the stage and things like yeah. that, that was um, awesome. it was it was great to see that it was awesome. as, as being something that was integrated into the show like having you know i have that logo on my phone just like on, on the a sticker on, on the back of my phone like before we started working on working on the episode so it was really awesome to be like i'm gonna put it on the floor now like and have that have yeah. that power to do that like um because yeah. like that's what we we're talking about like we, we were talking about that organization and what they were doing so that was like such a great opportunity and and also just like because it's games i had the and like no one really knew what to do like i was like oh i'm just gonna uh-huh. put this here i'm gonna put <laughs> that there i'm put like moira from overwatch in the intro or like this <laughs> minecraft guy popping up so i had like this free reign of like where to of, of the backgrounds that i probably might not have had as much of if it was like a subject that the writers knew more about yeah, so yeah i really yeah. like i i was like i it was me and my own playground yeah you know? yeah so we're so we're almost out of time yeah. time has flown for this episode <laughs> Jeez. uh last question for you if you were to do another gaming episode for Patriot Act mm-hmm. and you were to pitch whatever idea you wanted to be the next topic of discussion uh, for the show, what would that topic of discussion be? Um, the topic that I really want to talk about, but I think but we've kind of like come and we've kind of like been back and forth about whether it's feasible um is like yeah. the connection between um kind of like gaming and youtube and like the alt-right and like conservatism um mm. and like how people are radicalized on even discord or like twitch and youtube like that kind of stuff i feel like there's so many case studies and so many examples of where that happens like um mm-hmm. and it's the the problem is like how do you like how do you thread the line where you're not just like becoming or like presenting presenting another like another scare tacticy news report that's shouting right. about the dangers of games because i don't think it's the games themselves it's really it's actually less the games and more the communities around them and 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 yeah the way the internet works to, like these days and the algorithms of youtube i think are really like these these giant unknowable constructs that are shaping culture and shaping um mentalities of people like that we, we have that's a black box it's impossible to know yeah. like, how youtube is is recommending people like these awful conservative conspiratorial videos um mm-hmm. and why is it so connected to games like it's you know i think it's like it's a subject that deserves a closer look. 
So I would totally do yeah. an episode about that if I could. But I think it's also yeah. I understand why they might not they might stray away from it because like they're just worried about um, the optics maybe. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to feel like you're doing that kind of show in a in a. I'm not going to say a balanced way, but in a in a in a way that doesn't seem like you're trying to to pick a side. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, but I feel like you know, it's again, it's like kind of the conversation about like, should you punch a Nazi in the face? And people being like, you shouldn't punch Nazis in the face. When you're like, yo, but they're Nazis. <laughs> Like, yeah. like, like, yeah, they're not good people. Like, they're not, they're not people who you should uphold to the same standard that we kind of, that we already hold most people to. Like, we do live in that age of false equivalence. So that age of false Absolutely. equivalence is, and I think it's, is hard, yeah, it's hard to fight. I think against. it's okay to pick a side, and we obviously do. Like we did with the unionization stuff. Like I'm sure, the, I'm sure mm-hmm. the uh, the big game companies are not happy with with the show. Um, <laughs> But it's it's also important to make sure that your argument is clear and hits the right targets. And like, um, I think we've largely been able to do that on the show. So I'm very happy with with the the decision making of like the writers and the news team. Like they know their they know their stuff. They're like very conscientious and they work super hard. So it's I think they're that's been a really nice. Uh, it's been a nice change of kind of clientele for me where like versus like yeah. just making stuff for ads or, or whatever like that I don't really care about it's nice having that investment on, on the part of everybody in the company because everyone there is like yeah. they just want to make a really good show that's both entertaining and like educational and interesting and, and gets conversations started so like and it was really fun to be able to fit my my other side of my life games into into the uh, into the show, into the format of the show, and get Hustle yeah. talking about it and talking about Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a perfect place to end this episode of Spawn on Me. Like, fam. <laughs> first of all, thank you so much for coming through. My pleasure. Uh, I've been looking forward to this since we we talked about it a little while ago about you try about us getting you on the show to come yeah. through and hang out. And personally, as a person who has been a fan of your work for for a long time it brings me nothing but joy to see you doing such fantastic work that I get to ingest and watch uh, as, as often as I do. And I get to be like, yo, that's Yusef doing that joint over there. That stuff that's on that stage right there. I know that cat. That's, that's super dope. So again, thank you so much for coming through to Bukago. It's been a long time coming. I'm happy that you're here. And tell the folks at home where they can find your work and where they can get up with you on the internet. Sure. Uh, I am... Yumi Yu on Twitter. That's Y-O-U-M-E-Y-O-U. And that has links to all my, my website and everything you need to find. And yeah, watch Patriot Act this Sunday and every Sunday, except for the Sundays that we're not making making it. <laughs> You'll know when that is happening. <laughs> yes, but we have yes, at least yes, two yes, more indeed. Sundays of episodes going at you. Three two more. more. Three more. Two actually. more coming. Three more. So three more for the okay. next month, but they're going to be dope. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody in Chicago, thank you again for coming and hanging out again. These are the, this is the only place you can find dope conversations like this in podcast form with amazing dope blackness in it and dope conversations. So make sure you're checking us out on all the podcast networks and all the places you can find spawn on me 
in your ear holes and all those wonderful places. So for now, we're going to dip out of here. We're going to go host someone else on Twitch for the folks who are listening on Twitch land, everyone in X-Ray land and in podcast land. We will see you all next week. And we say peace. All right. Splash screen is up. Music is up. Dope. You can stop your recording. Sure will. The Spawn on Me podcast can be found every Tuesday on all podcast platforms and Portland Radio at xray.fm at 107.1 slash 91.1. You can find us live every Thursday on twitch.tv slash Spawn on Me. If you want to reach out to us on the show, you can hit us up on our site, spawnonme.com, where you can find all our social media information about our Twitter, Instagram, and everything else alongside our contact page if you want to reach out and shoot us a message or a business inquiry. Much love to you all. Thank you so much for listening every week. And we say... Peace.